What Mad Universe is part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What Mad Universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. so different from that of the overwhelming majority of people in our society that I doubt if I could even explain it to them. They exist in a fat, rich union of worlds that have almost forgotten the meaning of the word crime. There are few malcontents, and even fewer that are socially maladjusted. The few that are still born in spite of centuries of eugenic control are caught early, and the aberration is quickly adjusted. Some don't show their weakness until they are adults. They are the ones who try their hand at petty crime, burglaries, shoplifting, or such. They get away with it for a week or two, or a month or two, depending on the degree of their native intelligence. But sure as atomic decay, and just as predetermined, the police reach out and pull them in. That is almost the full extent of crime in our organized, dandified society. 99% of it, let's say. It is that last and vital 1% that keeps the police departments in business. That 1% is me and a few others like me, a handful of men scattered around the galaxy. Theoretically, we can't exist. And if we do exist, we can't operate. But we do. We are the rats in the wainscoting of society. We operate outside of their barriers and outside of their rules. Society had more rats when the rules were looser, just as the old wooden buildings had more rats than the concrete buildings that came later. But they still had rats. Now that society is all Venno concrete and stainless steel, there are fewer gaps between the joints, and it takes a smart rat to find them. A stainless steel rat is right at home in this environment. The Stainless Steel Rat, 1957, by Harry Harrison. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello! Today we're talking about the Stainless Steel Rat series by Harry Harrison, a long-running science fiction series of novels about a master thief turned super spy in a um, futuristic space opera setting. We'll be right back after this. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset, the closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise, while the open version delivers natural high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic, detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RGB configurations, just good design. Listeners can save by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIEND15 at checkout to save 
Sequelcast 2 and Friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time, hosted by me, Matt Bradley Shuri, Alex, and Thrasher. We also look at video games. We're working through Sierra Online's adventure games from Mystery House all the way up through Gabriel Knight 3 and larger pop culture topics. It's a lot of fun. For more info, go to Sequelcast2.com, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. We're back. Um, so this is a, a long-running series. Uh, the first... Um, uh, story came out in 1957, though it was um, um, turned into a, a fix-up novel in 1961, and the last of 11 books came out in 2010. Yeah. And I there was... was a short story in there. So, like, this was written over the course of this writer's entire career. Yeah. Harry Harrison. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was that, that. I was really surprised. Also, I noticed that, like, there's the first... I guess it was two stories that were put together into a fix-up novel uh, over from 57 and then the novel was 61. And then there's like 10 years before he does the second one. In, uh, yeah. It was 1970, I think, the second one came out. And um, then they come out uh, pretty regularly um, uh, for, for years until uh, uh, 99 when um, sort of one that's made as sort of a wrap-up. But then he did another one in 2010. Hmm. Um, and there's also a short story in there. <laughs> Yeah, um, which was written for uh, um, a uh, uh, otherwise an anthology of, of his other stories, but this was an original story put in there. Hmm. Um, so yeah, a long-running series. Uh, most of these books are actually quite short. Uh, the first one, especially, is very short. Um, like I said, it's it's two short stories sort of crammed together uh, with a bit of new writing around it. I think, um, but uh, e- even the longest ones of these don't are like a regular length book basically. Yeah. Um but a lot happens in each one. It's it's uh, very they're very eventful novels. Yeah, it's it's classic pulp in the sense that it's just one thing after another keeps, you know, lots of hairbreadth escapes and sudden twists and, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, in a new environment and I got to or suddenly, you know, someone bursts through the door with a machine gun and I got to get out and then, you know, there's there's not a lot of time wasted getting from point A to point B. Um, you know, he can, he can often just like in the course of a chapter, you know, drop, a, get, get away to a new planet and change his whole identity and put into, put a new plan into operation. And like, like in the course of a few real, even a few paragraphs, sometimes he'll, yeah. he'll sort of run down what he's doing really quickly. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of, uh, meandering, meandering or, or like dealing with the internalization i mean the character is a, he's a narrator and we hear his internal uh thing but like there's not a lot of characterization and stuff it's about like suddenly a bomb goes off kind of thing you know yeah i mean there is a bit of stuff about his his personality i mean it, it comes through over the course of you know the 11 books uh yeah i've he, he read has a certain philosophy and um uh, a way of thinking also there's three of these novels are prequels and they they sort of establish his uh, his the start of his career, so they're more. I mean, they're they're still very uh, eventful in the, but um, they're a little more about building up um, aspects of his personality that we come to know. Yeah, he's a good. He's a strong character. It's not like he isn't you know uh, a compelling character. That actually ties into. I just I did want to mention this before we really get into it, but it is something I've now noticed a few times. Is just like. There's this very strong dividing line between pre-World War II and post-World War II pulp. I think I might have sort of briefly mentioned it, but it's really starting to connect the more of these we read. Because, like, 
the classic 20s and 30s pulp um, is like there's lots of wild ideas and interesting things and, and, and so on. But it's very um, it's very I don't want to say superficial, but it's it's very much about action. And in the same way that this is, it's like point A to point B, crazy things happen. You know, there's weird highfalutin sci-fi and fantasy ideas and, and everything and and the characters characterizations are strong but it's very like um it's very um i guess surface level uh, like it, it it tends to be sort of like don't waste my time with like uh really complicated themes well there's themes but and 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 ideas and stuff but they're very they're usually pretty sincerely ideas that the writer was into like Robert E. Howard, you know, he had his whole philosophy of life and that was iterated through the stories. Um, whereas once you get to the late forties and fifties, um, the pulp has a much more sardonic tone to it. It can be more satirical. It can be a bit more subversive. It's still pulpy. It's still fast moving. And like I say, um, you know, uh, doesn't waste a lot of time, but it's often sort of like wry commentary on human nature. And there's a bit more sort of, um just just uh i guess sophistication to it uh and you can see that here because it is like common to, like it's a it's a, a not quite an unreliable narrator but a narrator who doesn't fit in in the the, the world that's been built here like he's 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 kind of and he's a well an outsider but also someone who who wryly comments on what is in many ways a classic sort of 50s or earlier you not quite utopian, but like, you know, Flash Gordon society of, you know, or Star Trek type society. And he's the guy who's kind of like full of sarcasm and wry witticisms and commentary on what's going on and how, you know, uh, you know, oh, he's, you know, his, his intellect was so uh, overwhelming. It took uh, five punches to the face to bring him down. You know, that kind of thing. Like, the, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, um, you see more, and we saw that in, like, when we were doing the Space Western episode. Um, like, there's a bit more sort of wry humor and, 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 uh, and y- you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, oh, absolutely, yes. And this character is very, uh, very snarky. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like like you said, he's not an unreliable narrator in the sense that he's not lying to you. Like, we, we get the sense that the things he describes happening in the story are happening, but his viewpoint isn't necessarily that of the author. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, obviously, I think the author definitely uh, sides with him on a lot of things. But y- it is definitely, like, the fact that, for instance, he keeps... Uh, after the second, after the first book, he he finds the love of his life, who's an equally big grifter, and uh, then like he spends the early part of the second book like trying to get out of their marriage and like trying to escape and in in equally sort of uh, fanciful con artist type ways, putting on disguises and trying to walk out the door with his money, pretending he's going for a swim and like that. And he and he literally says to her like, "Well, I'm sorry. It's just how I'm I'm made. It's just what I do. <laughs> like it's not even that I don't love you and don't even want to marry you. I just, you know, it's my nature to want to to want to get wriggle out of things and escape, you know. Um so there's that kind of thing. And that makes him like so he's not afraid to make him look a little little ridiculous. It's not the kind of like that that I think that might be something about a lot of classic pulp is the hero is always sort of flawless and perfect in at least in the sense of being uh, always getting away with it. And he does get away with it, but it's like the, the Harrison's willing to sort of tweak him a lot and make him 
seem a little silly at times and uh and and not just be the 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 perfect ideal square jawed hero kind of thing yeah and uh, i mean there's a lot of uh uh loop on the third uh me anime which again i'm i'm sort of obsessed with but uh <laughs> um which i've always described uh how he is he's like austin powers if he was allowed to be competent sometimes yeah yeah it's... um and there, there's a bit of that here where like he is hyper competent like he is the best thief in the in the universe but uh um well uh, yeah and con and con artist he's he's very yeah. very good at weaseling into and out of situations and going in disguise and all that kind of stuff but um he does get although you know he faces people who catch him and there are, there's a lot of times where he would have been cooked if if you know his friends hadn't bailed him out in one way or another that does happen as well it's it's actually in the ones i read at least it's almost 50 50 like he gets out of a lot of jams on his own but he does sometimes he would be cooked if it weren't for the space corps or angelina his girlfriend slash wife or like if the, like if they hadn't saved his, his neck a few times he would yeah, have been um, i mean the, the cast increase uh, they have kids um, yeah yeah in um uh twin boys uh named james bolivar degrees but but yeah they or James and Bolivar degrees. The stainless steel rat character, which I guess we haven't gone over the basic premise. I mean, yeah. he's a, um, we'll do that. Um, uh, he's a, um, uh, a master thief and con man in a, uh, futuristic society, which is many thousands of years off in, in earth's history. They have actually, uh, forgotten a lot of like they, uh, the idea of Earth is a legend that uh, they say, you know, humans originated on some planet called Dirt or Earth or something. Right. Uh, that's a repeated um, a joke. I, I always, I'm always amused by that joke. I don't know if it originated with this, but yeah, I've, yeah. Heard, I've heard it elsewhere. No, it's, it's. Uh, in fact, I think he's commenting on uh, the Isaac Asimov series from the 50s uh, where he talked about like, like the foundation books, they've basically forgotten where Earth came from as well, for instance. Uh, and oh, I, think I mean, that's... specifically the, that, uh, they think earth is called dirt oh yeah yeah okay <laughs> that's what it literally translates to uh, yeah right um but um uh yeah uh but in the uh first book in fact very early on in it he gets he gets caught right. um by uh inskip the uh leader of the special corps which is a um uh inter a very like completely secret um galactic um um crime fighting like they they take care of the worst criminals in in the universe mm -hmm. um and to do so they recruit uh former crooks right um who know in how to do things including inskip himself is was one yeah. of the, the legendary criminals of the galaxy before he was caught and now he's in charge of the special corps basically yeah and so uh yeah mo most of these stories are basically spy stories i mean going into this i was expecting more like I mean, there are heists and stuff, but I was expecting that to be all there was, like him like breaking into a spaceship and stealing stuff. That doesn't usually happen. Um, I mean, usually the the uh, stuff is set on planets anyway. Like the time on sp the time spent on spaceships in this whole series is fairly limited. Mm -hmm. um, and he often arrives on like primitive planets that have um, sort of disconnected with the. Um, um, you know the the union of planets outside of it and um uh you know are technologically backwards or or 
primitive in some way. So yeah, that, but, that's a common feature. Yeah. The actual level of science fiction concepts, at least in the first two that I read, are not... I should note that I only read the first two books. Uh, uh, Phil's read all of them. But, um, yeah, no, uh, like, it's not heavy. on. There's robots, and, of course, there's intergalactic travel, and he has to go from planet to planet, which may have its own culture, and that's sort of, that's sort of the main science fiction aspect. In every other respect, he feels like a 20th century American character. Um, like, there's not a lot of... Uh, like wild world building in the first two at least maybe they get more weird in that uh, regard well i mean there, there's some ideas introduced um uh like i i did like the idea that uh um uh for like a telegram service they employ psychics because that's you know instantaneous uh communication right yeah that is um, mentioned yeah yeah, and and stuff like that. Like he has a disguise kit that he can like inject his face with with things to change the shape of it. Yeah, they do talk about all the sort of uh, like how elaborate the ability to get quote plastic surgery and change your appearance is. That's definitely there. And yeah, surveillance, and, and there's I guess there's little right. stuff like uh, sobering pills, like a pill you can take that just leeches all the alcohol out of your body and right. turns you instantly sober. That sort of thing. Yeah. Like it's not. It's not crazy wild technology, but there there are some fun ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 sort of it's it's as we were saying again with the space western. This seems to have been, although I guess this is mostly the characters created in that era, but most of his stories were later. Uh, but it d- does seem like he's not as interested in the sci-fi uh, world building so much as it is just like yeah, it's a pulp sci-fi story, but. Uh, you know, it's that's just so I can make up planets that he goes to where there's crazy cultures and clashes with in different ways. Uh, it's worth noting in the second book, um, very, very blatant, uh, you know, um, com- pseudo-communist uh, society that he's fighting and spies that he's fighting against and, and has to... Well, uh, I mean, they're, they're coded Russian. I don't know if they, they were communists specifically well they're not communists in the like their ideology it's just it's the american it's the right-wing american view of communists of the they're just this oppressive evil empire that wants to conquer everyone for no reason you know like it's it's it, he doesn't get into that but it's like it's it's very subtly that the 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 well the, the i mean that subconscious the plan in the second one where they were being manipulated by the gray men who are uh, a, a group that actually come back in a in a subsequent book yeah um the the gray men have a uh, origin they were um uh, and actually there there is some criticism of the gray man as coded japanese um, oh um though i mean cuz a lot of them have like uh japanese names though i i didn't like read them as racially as japanese i don't know okay um that that's criticism i've seen of it yeah um, so what is up with the gray men cuz they didn't get into it in the second book yeah, yeah yeah they they appear again uh in um the book after the next one, uh, book four, I think, uh, where there they were a group of humans who got cut off from uh, a human society on a really harsh planet and um, um, became in- increasingly like uh, authoritarian and, and paranoid, and then uh, decided they they wanted to um, go out into the universe and spread their wonderful ideology to everybody. So they used like secret, uh, you know spook uh um you know uh mind control and agents yeah. inserted everywhere and so forth well I, again that really feels coded communist and i mean even in the second one they talk about like oh well what they do is they find a planet that has a, a sector of society that's uh, unhappy 
for, you know, oh, just a bunch of complainers and because they're no matter how great the society is, it'll be some people complaining about it and he'll they'll uh, side with them and help them come to power and then they'll roll over for when it invades. So that, like that's 100 percent the right wing like uh, paranoia about communism. It's like they're working with disaffected and marginalized groups. Uh, and they, that's why you have to keep the marginalized. They wouldn't say it in, the, in those terms, but it would be like that's why when people start agitating for equal rights, it's because they're working for communists like that. That's I, there. I'm, absolutely. I think. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's actually group. what Harrison believed. I'm just like that's that's the subconscious thing it might it, it might mean, almost the, be a commentary on it i don't know but the uh, marginalized group in in book two were men because it was a it was a matriarchal society where yeah. men were only recently allowed to vote right well but yeah but that's what i mean he's like subverting the whole like feminist is like but what if it was men but it's the same idea of like the 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 people uprising against their masters are actually secretly working with this ominous and the whole thing of mind control and secret infiltrators is you know, obviously that has the whole communist Cold War aspect to it, and you could even call it anti-Semitic, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, uh, I, I, I guess. I, I don't know. I, and the Grey Men are actually instrumental in saving humanity in book four at the end. Okay. Yeah, well, um, he probably, like, I, I don't, it doesn't really feel like he was, like, a, a, a fire-breathing reactionary. <laughs> like, it felt like he... I, I don't know his politics, but, it, like, it, it, he's he's sort of subversive and witty enough that it was more just like he was copying a Cold War ideology. He just wanted, like, a... Uh, it's, it's sort of like, you know, on Firefly, it's the pseudo-Civil War, but there's not try to advance the civil war ideology necessarily uh but like it's like he just wanted that as like the the sci-fi backdrop for it all and i felt like maybe that's the same idea for the cold war i mean which is not to say it's not problematic to try and uh and and just throw that out there without analyzing it or thinking about it at all but i like it didn't feel like he was some raving anti-communist but maybe he was i don't uh, know he- uh, he seems to have been fairly liberal. Uh, I, I haven't found much on his politics because I was actually a little bit confused about his politics reading uh, uh, these books and then going back to his uh, most famous book, which is um, uh, Make Room, Make Room, which was the basis for Soylent Green, which hmm. does read as pretty reactionary to me, and these seem a little less so. Yeah. There's <laughs> um, a- he was apparently liberal, um, in his own politics, he hated the military after uh, spending time in the military in World War II. He hated, mm. like, the bureaucracy and stuff. That comes up in a lot of these stories. Yeah, that came um, through in book book two, that it was kind of like he was a little bit, not contemptuous, but he knew that the military was made up of very flawed human beings in any situation, and there were always yeah, jerks Yeah, well, there's the a military, whole bit yeah. that explicitly outlines the military-industrial complex in one of the later ones, so, yeah. Um I, I think uh, I think this this era of science fiction writers from like the post World War II up until the seventies or eighties, um, you definitely see there one of the guiding principles that we don't always talk about. We t- we sort of see every whenever we're discussing people's politics on the show, we talk like very sincerely. And but there was definitely a streak of just um, what's the word contrarianism in everything it was almost like they'd say something and they believe it and then they'd like write a book later that contradicted what they believed in you know what i mean like they'd 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 just argue for the sake of arguing almost um and a lot of sci-fi writers of the era would do that they'd they'd write a book that was almost like 
steel manning a premise they didn't agree with or you know uh just trying to like if everyone was doing it one way they'd have to do the opposite you know especially like a lot of these are this book in many ways is a reaction as i said to asimov uh and he was sort of the gold standard of science fiction for a while as this book was getting off a lot of Heinlein stuff tends to have that where it's like he's all over the place politically and it's not necessarily a hundred percent what he believed with, even though he did have those very right wing politics, you know, he's, there's always that sort of, well, as we see in modern day conservatives, there's a sense of like, if they get pushed too far, they can say, well, I was just kidding. Um, and yeah, they were a little I, again, more I don't, I don't think uh, Harrison was conservative at all. Yeah. Um, necessarily. I mean, I, well, like he I said, it, he's he's listed as liberal in in various uh, yeah. descriptions of him, so I don't know. Well, sometimes it's uh, there's also sometimes people who just aren't very political, which does tend to slip into a bit of a conservative mindset. Well, I mean, he does do a lot of. I mean, a lot of these books have political satire. There's one called "Stainless Steel Rat Runs for President," where uh, it's about banana republics, like a parody of like. Though I mean, the the, the character is sort of. I was expecting more. Um, like he's explicitly basically fascist he he's described as right wing and he he complains about lefties and so i guess it's mm. maybe less castro and more like pinochet or something i don't know yeah okay well um, again, again it's there's but, a uh, yeah go ahead yeah and that that has um um uh, um jim uh, uh jim running a uh, a con to uh uh basically cheat uh you know because this guy runs you know um elections that are fraudulent so uh jim is running an equally fraudulent campaign against him yeah uh the idea is going to cheat into into the into the right position though they end up um um coming to the conclusion that they have to just actually do it the right way uh you know morally they have to um actually let it play out like a democracy just sort of canceling out uh, the explicit fraud of the other side but not going further than that yeah um which is interesting and there's a line where uh, angelina says um uh and i i don't know i i sort of read it as a commentary on the sort of confused politics of these books where she said um your politics uh jim falls somewhere in between um fascism and anarchy of the two i prefer anarchy but i'll settle for democracy in a pinch <laughs> yeah okay well there you go uh, and i mean it's it's um like it's also worth noting i mean if these books were written mostly in the like the 60s and 70s there was definitely a very strong anti-authoritarian streak it was almost the reflexive attitude of a lot of writers like it wouldn't even be like you know that they they had this detailed political viewpoint it would just be like stick it to the man politics are a joke haha you know, and, you know what I mean? Like it, that's, that's a lot to this day. A lot of people will be like, that's my knee jerk assumption, even though I haven't thought it through as some kind of careful critique. It's just, how can I kind of flip the bird to as many people as possible? You know? Oh um, yeah. There's also, uh, um, he was talking about, you know, people who have run for president and he says, uh, uh, I've, uh, seen open crooks and, uh, um, aging actors become president, so you know anything can happen. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, about Nixon and Reagan. So yeah yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think generally, it's whatever else you know. And I didn't mean to like type Harrison a certain way. I think there's there's you know it was just uh, it's just an interesting thing that's lurking in the the sort of uh, the the subtext. Whether and it's it, it again, it's almost more because he inherited it than because he 
necessarily believed in it. That's like I say, when you ha- you have certain stories, they'll sort of fall into certain modes if you don't make an active attempt to sort of interrogate some of what you're doing, like the hero's journey I mentioned already, and and things like that. Um, so I mean, it's it's uh, it, you know I don't I don't want to typify the guy. I don't know anything about what, what is is Harrison still alive? By the way, uh, no, no, uh, he, he's he, he died. A few years ago, uh, I, I didn't. I, I didn't. He died in uh, 2012. Okay, so he died two two years after the last uh, stainless steel rat book. Hmm. Yeah. 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 No, he must have. I think a lot of there were a lot of writers who were doing that. And I mean, it's worth noting that uh, the 70s and I don't think it's a coincidence that this book series came back in the 70s because that was kind of the first flush of nerd culture returning um <laughs> like it was um it there was it suddenly became like the the whole fan culture started to really explode mm-hmm. in the 70s and i think a lot of writers who had you know done stuff earlier found it valuable to go back to their old work i think isn't that what happened with um um uh, uh the woman who did um uh, Eric John Stark, or am I mixing that up with? Um... Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was sort of like there was the '50s version, and then that died out, and then 20 years later she came back and did '70s versions of it, right? Like it was, uh... yeah. And even before Star Wars, that was a thing that was happening in in science fiction. People would like uh, digging up a lot of uh, classic uh, pulpy sci-fi and 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 uh, sort of you know that's that's the era when Conan came to comic books, and that was you know a lot of the and Lovecraft kind of got. Uh, dug up he'd he'd been really obscure before that tolkien uh well yeah as we've discussed tolkien had kind of a weird journey but he was more in the but yeah he's kind of the he might have been almost the vanguard of that in some ways along with marvel comics um but yeah so that's uh that's it it is you know good for him for being able to go back to it another writer we haven't talked about yet but uh fritz lieber uh we 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 definitely have to do a a faffert and the gray mauser show yeah i've I've read the first volume but there's there's a bunch of them so i'll I'll have to go back to those and he definitely he was writing in the actual classic pulp era and then was writing through into the 70s and 80s with more character more stories with the same characters basically uh because it kept going and you can make a case for moorcock as well although he was kind of the tail end of the pulp era to begin with but uh, super young at the time anyway right yeah exactly so but um but uh uh yeah so uh more stuff about the the setting of these books um they're uh very uh most with one book uh exception it's all about humans it's sort of the foundation uh thing where it's all just a human society though the fourth book actually does have uh aliens in it a, a lot of them uh it turns out that every alien species in the galaxy uh, just finds humans gross. Oh, <laughs> like we're just repulsive. We don't have, we have altogether too few limbs and eyes, and we're not slime. We're barely slimy at all. <laughs> so, and that's just why we never see aliens because they just want to keep yeah, away well, from us at all times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they don't want to have anything to do with us. And in that book, they mount they like all the alien races together come together to uh, wipe out humanity because they're just tired of thinking about us <laughs> sorry okay. all the aliens mount a, an attack on humanity yeah like like how many what were There's they doing like hundreds this time? of different species okay <laughs> like all different but all like really mm. gross to humans but uh they also find humans gross right um what how and, does that uh, turn out 
Uh, well, the Gray Men are actually, uh, that's when they come back, and they're actually, they've infiltrated this society as well. Um, and um, they're actually the solution to the problem. They end up um, brainwashing the, the aliens into not thinking humans are so gross. Oh. You know, if you think about it, you know, there's slimy parts. You know, the tongue is pretty slimy. <laughs> um, they, they actually uh, come up with uh, various other uh, suggestions for, or in that, at Towards the end of that book, uh, uh, using the uh, the time machine from the previous book um, as a weapon, but the uh, oh uh, the time police show up uh, from the future and say you you can't do that, um, and they they have other ideas that are like two that the morality police who are like even higher than the special corps show up and tell them not to. So they they there's all these like. Uh, ways out of the problem that they're then prevented from using instantly. <laughs> huh. uh, of the um, alien invasion, you mean? It, to stop the alien invasion, yes. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. And then uh, they end up uh, doing the uh, using the gray men to to uh, brainwash them all, which is also uh, they decide to just do it without asking first. <laughs> <laughs> Who did they? So they were asking the morality police each time. Um, well, the, yeah, they they were sort of. Uh, putting forward the ideas and then the morality police would show up and say no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's see. Okay. So that's funny. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like a, the subversion that I'm talking about. And it's actually interesting. Sorry. Did you have something to say? No, nope. um, that's actually interesting. So like, as you mentioned, like a human only universe, uh, like that, the reason the foundation series is like that um, is because, well, I presumably is because like, since it has to be about, fixed constants in determining like the future of human affairs uh if you add aliens in the mix it becomes impossible to like predict in the way that it's supposed to be able to predict the future of the foundation series um if the um you get the um uh uh in this this is and that this is like i say this feels like it's parodying it a bit because it talks about uh, as you said at the in the opening and you've mentioned like this is supposed to be the society that's you know where they've quote solved crime and i'm sure this is something we're going to get into when we talk about doc savage in a couple episodes too uh but like this whole idea of like yeah we can cure crime and we can cure all the problems of humanity by messing around with people's brains basically yeah. um and this is and in this case it's it's very clearly sardonically meant it's 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 uh not quite a full-on satire it's just more for the premise to work uh it's like as as you heard at the beginning it's the idea that most humans are partly through societal conditioning and also because they catch the deviants and effectively brainwash them um not not just effectively they they outright do that i mean that's how they fix angelina from being a yeah, murderous psychopath that's right and in that case so that's like that does race it feels like in the first book he just like uses it to the premise and maybe he gets into it a bit more as a as a like uh as a thing to comment on in later episodes but like I that mean, not really no <laughs> no no that that's about i mean it's not really mentioned again much because mm. that's the thing that makes de Grizz sort of remarkable is that he's able to evade that and that he is a you know a deviant from that in that perspective from the society but he's also uh, he is a deviant from that societal perspective, but he's also like a um, like he's smart enough to sort of wheedle around it. And they need him because he's so good at it; he can catch the other criminals and the other bad things, which is kind who, of who are worse. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
and, and he doesn't kill. Uh, at least um, he actually does kill once in the first book, uh, but um, it's it's in self defense, and he says he's willing to kill in self defense, yes. but uh, mm-hmm. otherwise his philosophy, which is uh, specifically atheistic, he doesn't think there's life after death, and this right. is all we have. So mm-hmm. it's more important to to make sure that that you preserve other people's lives because this is all we got. Yeah, he does have. Yeah, he has that whole uh, section in the the second book where he suddenly says just to be clear i don't think the ends ever justify the means and i think that you know there's nothing and again this seems to be in this case he seems to be in line with his society and that there's no religion and that which is again a common thing you see in like post-world war ii sci-fi up until the star trek era of like well once we have a perfect world there won't be any religion anymore essentially um yeah there, there are books uh uh in later in the series that deal with like religion there's a cult that builds up um um, it seems to be at least partially parroting Scientology. Mm-hmm. I guess it would have been around the right time that that would have been known about. Yeah. That one's from the late 90s. So, yeah. Um, um, so there there is uh, religious talk, but, like, he's not at that point, uh, um, like, he's has to, to bone up on ideas like heaven and hell and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, I because assume they're they're not common anymore in society. I assume that's the episode, the one called uh, "The Stainless Steel Rat Goes to Hell." Yeah, which is literal. He goes to a hell dimension. <laughs> nice. At one point, um, yeah, all, they also go to heaven. Yeah, there, there's um, uh, meet some workmen in heaven who are you know building up heaven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it, it's all like it's all a con, but yes, it's yeah. Well, that's so that's the thing. I mean, he presents it. The setup, I, you know, part of me early on, I wanted to comment on like, well, they say it's a perfect society without crime. But then he talks about how like there's political corruption and there's like high level double dealings going on, including the invasions of planets, although that is rem- remarked upon as an unusual thing. Yeah, um, like they talk about how there's like, th- like all the stuff that the society has supposedly done away with exists, even if it's like remarkable like it does exist like clearly this society but i mean that's the point like this he's never you never feel like he's actually trying to argue this is this perfect flawless society it's it's almost like <laughs> although like degris does seem to believe that that's true uh even though it gets countermanded all these different times with uh, but but it's yeah yeah but i mean uh war war is a thing that doesn't at least interplanetary war is a thing that doesn't really exist. Um, yeah, I'd, it's hard to say because it goes back and forth on some of these things. Well, but like in the second book involves, uh, again, this group that's infiltrating and invading planets. And they talk, uh, like DeGriz and everyone is agrees, like, well, that's not supposed to be possible. You can't invade. And it wasn't even because of how great their society was. It was just like on a on a you know uh, on a physical practical level it's very hard to raid a planet with a with a spaceship fleet like you've got it like how can you get through pla- basic planetary defenses it's it's very hard to do so unless the planet is incredibly primitive and has no openings or whatever whatsoever it's and has nothing to defend it like it's like the the it's it's incredibly skewed dynamic that's the only time you ever see planetary invasions um and it is funny because then then you're one like he paints it as this sort of hegemony where everyone agrees and every like the, all the planets are both basically in alignment but then it does seem like different planets have their own agendas and their own politics uh so it's a little vague on that sense but again like any kind of um 
inconsistency in that regard can always be sort of pointed to as well that's you know he's he's looking at it with a with a with a side eye it's not <laughs> he's not trying to paint it as as good as it a- advertises itself and certainly de Grizz doesn't feel that way about the society that he lives in right uh yeah uh there's actually i was thinking uh there's a later book um um let's see i'm trying to remember which one it is uh it's one of the prequels uh I think it's uh, yeah, stainless steel rat gets drafted from '87, uh, where um, in the second half he he comes across a society that's um, basically presented as an actual utopia. Um, they've um, um, instead of money, they have something called WERS, which is uh, work per hours, um, which is um, the, the idea like money has like inflation and stuff, but with uh, um, Wars. It's um, basically it's it's what we were talking about last episode, like with the the Jetsons idea of like uh, we'd have to work less in the future because of right, uh, right. mechanization. So it's um, well the the uh, the idea that you know um, in a and in this case it's it's not a, a capitalistic society or necessarily a communistic one, but um, um, you you have. Um, a certain amount of hours you have to you, you have to work a week in order to get like um be able to get goods and services and stuff but um uh with mechanization that that goes down over time so now it's only like you only have to work like a few minutes a week or whatever it was right the jet yeah i put in my shift at the button pushing factory for five minutes or whatever that, yeah that was a common thing in um I mean, like it was parodied very quickly, but um, yeah, it was a common thing in uh, the late uh, uh, immediately after World War Two for for a decade or two, where it was like the the goal. I mean, it's it's a it's a worthy goal, the idea that we shouldn't have to work very much because everything should be automated. Um, but of course, it it ran headlong into the idea of like, well, then you know, people can't eat because they don't have jobs under the current system. It doesn't work under capitalism, basically. Um, yeah. And- uh, but yeah, th- this, um, um, and, and the people are also explicitly pacifist. Um, um, they, they do believe that uh, they, they have to, you know, help people. And um, so it, it's sort of a, um, a utopian society, but uh, Jim actually it decides to leave because he wouldn't fit in there. Like he, he needs crime to function. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he needs an authority to to buck against, and like a uh, a society that works this well just I isn't for him. So it's a it's an an it's 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 kind of an anarchist society, is what you're saying. Like there's no a little bit, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's not quite, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely aspects of that, um, and it's a, a and I it's like a religious uh, um, philosophy uh, that was uh, given to them by a, a machine mind. Um, yeah yeah like it's a benevolent uh, machine god thing like on star trek well that's um, hilarious because that is literally the premise of the culture novels which we're going to do eventually as well oh uh, like it's, yeah it's it in that case written by a socialist it was the idea of like well the way the best way to get there is to literally have machine intelligences that resolve everything basically oh well in this case it was the machine intelligence came up with the idea wrote down the manifesto and just sort of <laughs> stopped okay like if if they had any questions they they could consult it at any time but they didn't because it all worked really well <laughs> when was that one published which one was that uh that one was uh uh 87 
Okay, so that's funny because that's I'm almost positive that's the same year the first culture novel came out, and I wonder okay. if there was just something in the water like that was being discussed uh, that led to people commenting on it like that that in that regard. I don't know. That's uh, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, the benign machine intelligences, basically. Yeah, and it, it has a bit where uh, Jim has to go to talk to the machine to get it because there's uh, an invading army who are taking over this planet because they won't fight back. Um, and, um, like the, the, the people like genuinely don't understand the concept of like violence and stuff. Uh, they said, uh, do this or you'll die at, uh, at two thirty tomorrow. And they say, wait, how do you know when I'm going to die? That, that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, well, and, and, uh, but I mean the benign um, machine intelligence, Controlling a society, of course, is a staple of yeah. science fiction for Again, a, dec- it's, a couple it's not, decades. It's not even controlling it because it's 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 not even dormant. It just sort of hasn't talked to anybody in a while because nobody's had any questions for it. But <laughs> uh, Jim actually seeks it out to to help it stop the invasion, and um, it seems that everything is already in place to stop it, so the machine like doesn't have to do anything. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it does feel like this whole series then is like kind of constructed to tweak the nose of science fiction basically <laughs> like um, yeah and you, yeah. and you've got uh, the thing about having an outsider character who's the hero like this is you can kind of just like thumb your nose at everyone without being like here's my these things i believe you know kind of thing yeah <laughs> you can just kind of like uh razz everyone uh which is healthy i think that's a good thing i don't think uh you know you should be totally serious about that like i say i, I started it kind of like wanting to poke holes in in this supposed ideology but by the end of the second one it's pretty obvious like yeah he's just he's just sort of going for a a, a goof on everyone essentially he's just riffing yeah exactly um, um oh uh something i wanted to talk about uh language um um it's uh in the third book they're explicitly not speaking english throughout uh uh, these stories, because in the third book, he actually travels back in time to dirt or earth or whatever, um, and um, has to learn English uh, via via his machines, um, language teaching machines. Um, and uh, in book two, uh, he lands on a planet and he, he wants to make sure, you know, he talks to somebody to, to see what the language was, and it was Esperanto. Uh, and he said, oh, we're in luck. I speak Esperanto like a native. And that seemed like yeah. a joke, um, but it just Esperanto kept coming up again and again and again in these books. In fact, in, in the alien one, which I talked about, um, the aliens actually speak Esperanto. They picked it up from Earth's, you know, spying on humans or not Earth, uh, spying on human society and uh, decided, yeah, th- this is a, a perfectly logical language. You know, humans suck, but. That this works for us, so we'll use it to communicate with each other, um, because it's just the most logical language there is. Hmm. Um, and I, again, I like this comes up over and over and over again. And it's by by one of the later books. It says Esperanto is a universal language that everybody speaks as like a second language. Well, it is funny. Except, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, Harry Harrison was uh, like an actual believer in Esperanto, and oh, okay. it was the like he headed up uh, uh, Esperanto society chapters and stuff. Oh, okay. um, like this is not like he spoke Esperanto. He he really believed that this is this was the language of the future. So again, like he, he was like 
it's a bit of a joke, but at the same time, it was a joke with a purpose. <laughs> yeah. Well, that reminds me of in uh, in Sea Guy by Grant Morrison. He at one point he needs to communicate with an ancient mummy, and he's like, "Oh, good, you speak Esperanto just like I do." Like it's almost a a gag at this point that it's the universal language, and if you can like throw like Sea Guy is ridiculous, so like throwing it in there just feels natural. Um, but I mean, it is a good idea if there was a language that everyone spoke and like that's sort of value neutral because just making it english or making it spanish or making it chinese then you're sort of adopting one pre-existing culture as this definitive language so if you could use like a a constructed artificial language it would be you know and that's that was the whole idea that it was an internationalist language basically so i think red dwarf also had signs in english and esperanto yeah yeah yeah, it's uh, it was you know, it's not about it's it's a good idea. I just don't know if you can ever actually enforce it, um, in like through just well in the society we have anyway. Um. <laughs> there's there's three books in this series that are that are prequels. Um, in um, uh, Stainless Steel Rat is Born in 1985, it goes back to uh, Jim's uh, childhood on uh, a planet that was initially founded by religious um, fundamentalists, uh, though. And it's sort of coded like a backward southern state or something like that. Um, it's called Bit of Heaven. And mm-hmm. he just hates it there. And um, uh, from an early age, he just he decides he wants to be a criminal. That's like the thing he wants to do. So he goes into, um, takes all, you know, shop classes and stuff and everything that he can learn to, you know, break through locks and things. Uh, but he decides he needs um, a... Uh, um a mentor so he goes to so he uh has himself arrested uh intentionally so he could go to a prison and and find a criminal there to teach him but after a while he realizes these are all people who got caught yeah right uh, it's the... so these are bad criminals i need to find one who hasn't got caught so he uh there's a a great uh criminal called the bishop who operated on his planet so he decided to start, who had retired a long time ago, and nobody knew where he went. So Jim decides to start doing crimes in his name to get the bishop to seek him out. Huh. So he talks the bishop into uh, um, becoming his mentor. And anyway, I thought thought that was a cute idea. <laughs> Wonder if that's a Monty you know, Python reference too. The bishop. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure. I, I think it's a chess piece. Well, this, they, well, they, there there was a character called the Saint uh, who was popular in the 60s. Which yeah, the bis- no, Monty no, Python I, I think, was making fun of, but that might actually be the same. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is about the chess piece because they use chess piece imageries with them. There's uh, there's two more prequels. Uh, Stainless Steel Rat gets drafted, which I've talked about briefly. That one has him uh, getting. Um, Put into a, a military society by accident and uh, getting draft, you know, getting drafted, and it actually, uh, like I said, sort of spells out the military-industrial complex concept um, mm. in specific detail, which I thought was fun. Um, and then uh, there's, oh yeah, uh, Stainless Steel Rat sings the blues, the the third and last of the prequels, um, where he has to uh, uh, infiltrate a, a prison planet. Um, disguised as uh, a, a rock band uh and it, it has various uh references to to popular music there's a, a character named madonnet and other ones i think a stingo uh yeah. well you can see how this is definitely part of the 
science fiction where like again it's not trying to seriously build a a lot of uh, uh, science fiction is inevitably going to use uh our world as a jumping off point but like it's literally just this in space and <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? like, yeah. no there attempt, is a lot of that yeah no attempt to make it a like a, a weird society that's thousands of years in the future it's just a twice century america but they have rockets basically <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh uh this planet has um um various factions in the in the society one of which is a specific parody of the um um iron john movement the sort of mm-hmm. precursor to like men's rights stuff though it was a little more not quite as overtly bad as that stuff became but it still had aspects of that um and so there's there's like a a lengthy parody of the iron john movement <laughs> including uh, like led by literally Iron John as like a genetically engineered um wild man as their leader um and it turns out they're actually being um run by another society of of uh, women of all women okay yeah that um, that definitely is the kind of thing that was in the air at that at a certain time that was the thing everyone wanted to talk about so you know that was yeah. the thing people were making fun of yeah uh and um oh yeah uh one one thing in the last book 2010 it um the last book is weird cuz like uh Jim doesn't do any heists and he doesn't go on any missions for the core he's just trying to get away from his uh crappy uh in-laws or uh, not in-laws uh extended family cuz some of the other degrees uh, pe- uh people from his home planet again which is a backwater find out who he is and and want money and he's just trying to get rid of them for the whole book and it winds him uh, onto a planet that's um uh again like a primitive planet ruled by a, a caste system and stuff um so yeah that 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 was an odd one um it it had a, a bit early on where it talk where it uh talked about the banking crisis bit, like um that uh, there was a, a a similar problem in the future, but they actually solved it. Um, but it made um, bank robbing uh, for for Jim a little more difficult because <laughs> <laughs> they actually solved all the financial, you know, trickery that that banks got up to. Ah, uh, um, right. It also had a, a problematic bit, um, which I, I don't. I'm pretty sure it contradicts the rest of the thing. The idea that uh, the future humanity is racially homogenous. Um, which is has unfortunate implications because you know there's various hair colors and stuff described, so that implies that they're white. Mm. Um, Sorry, this is in the 2010 book. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Uh, they they oh uh, yeah this this planet that they arrive on has um uh, a ruling class uh, class of uh, people who have been affected by uh, radiation and have turned green. But uh, in order to lure people in, they um, paint themselves in, with human um, skin tones. But they have a variety of skin tones, which confuses Jim and, and Angelina at first. Um, You'd think out an intergalactic society would have more variations yeah. in skin tone than less, rather. But, Again, you know. it's a weird thing to just introduce in the last book there. Mm, yeah. And unfortunate implications. Uh, I mean, that's probably well-meaning in the sense of, like, yeah. people wouldn't be divided. But, uh, yeah, right. 
Well, it's a fun series for sure. And and yeah, like I say, it's very much, it seems to be one of the uh, staples of sort of comedic science fiction that existed. Yeah. Um, yeah a lot, lot of really fun sort of satirical ideas. Uh, some that don't ho- that hold up less than others. There, there's a bit of sexism that runs through the whole series. Mm-hmm. It's obviously written by a guy who, you know, uh, from the 60s and 70s and yeah. 80s, you know. Yeah, yeah like, um, yeah. But he, he's trying, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's, it's, the, it's definitely a sexual revolution era series, both in terms of the, the wackiness and the sex appeal, which amounts to, women being a certain way you know but yeah, yeah. but the fact so, that... again angelina is like super violent uh even though she gets cured of like outright homicidal tendencies yeah she remains like she's willing to go much further in terms of murder than he is and mm-hmm. she saves his ass a lot so yeah like she's more physically uh capable than he is so i yeah. don't know well again it's the kind of like hey well the woman is the violent one wow it's weird you know like that's <laughs> yeah the, i guess I, he's trying to subvert everything like he did which again is not necessarily <laughs> carefully thought out but like uh and again this is the 70s everyone was talking about women's libbers and whatnot yeah oh also uh the the books sort of go in real time like he he ages up as as they go and his his sons become adults over the course of the series oh um he uses geriatric treatments to keep himself young, but uh, mm-hmm. he he actually does like they take place over the period of time that uh, in the future, oh. but over the period of yeah. time that they were written. Basically, so over fifty years. Then that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a few characters like that. I mean, Judge Dredd is apparently a bit like that, and uh, 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 originally John Constantine in the in the original um, um, uh, uh, Vertigo run yeah. aged in real time. And it was, re- he was in his 60s, I think, by the time the series ended. Yeah, that's always cool to me when you can pull that off. Yeah, it's impressive because, I mean, most writers sort of, generally speaking, you grow out of a, a character or a story or an idea. Like, it's you get to a point where you're like, I'm not the same person who was writing this in the, originally and it's time to move on. Um, unless there's like tons of money in it and you have to keep going back to it, of course. But if you can legit, sincerely go back to it and keep writing the character, which some of these pulp characters... Uh, it did happen that way. Um, you know, it's it can be impressive to see the the growth and the evolution of these characters. And the internet wasn't brought up until one that takes place in like '96 um, or something. Well, obviously, yeah, because when it's invented in real life, yeah. There's a comic book. Um, there's some comic book adaptations. I think I didn't read, and there's a video game at some point. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, it, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's like a text video game or oh, something. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Uh, you are the. You can be the stainless steel rat. I think it was called. Huh. That's cool. Um, yeah, and and there's it was text like written by it. Harrison, I believe. Oh, like okay. it's an original story. Well, the space cops are hot on our trail, so it's time for us to make like a Rigelian move tree and run away. I don't know. Uh, we were Philip Rice, master thief, and Adam Prosser, beautiful psychopath. Our producer was Alex Ross, our grouchy boss heading up the Special Corps, and our music was sampled from historical archives by Jack Furick from some planet called Dirt or Earth or something. Reminder that we both have Patreons, which help pay for hosting costs and whatnot, so subscribe to either of us and you can steal our early our uh, episodes early of this podcast, uh, and as well as get bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations, comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2S's, 
or what-mad-universe.pinecast.co for the links. You can also follow us on Twitter at WMUPodcast or Spearhavok A with an F for me or Prankster36 for Adam. So until next time, everybody, stay stainless. Stay stainless.